Hello and welcome to the King Heroes Journey podcast. My name is Beth Martins and I'm here with Dr. Bear Lando again, a uh, repeat offender on the King Heroes Journey. <laughs> welcome, Bear. We want to chat for a little bit while I get a little Rockfin set up and uh, just let me know how are you doing. It's been a while. Yeah, doing good. Um, always a pleasure to see you, Beth. It's uh, been way too long, so it'd be fun catching up. No, I literally um, just yeah yeah go ahead. Oh, I, I literally miss you. We're, we're maybe a little ships in the night with our our full lives that we uh, both have, and uh, and then I just you keep coming in my mind. I got to talk to Bear about something, and then my mind starts to search. Well, what could that be about? And uh, and then I I'm, I can't remember what it was. Something specific. I just heard you talking about the nervous system, and I went like boom because that's the thing I think people uh, have. Uh, you know, a lot of misunderstandings about, I want to talk about how medical science takes us sideways on that. Uh, you know, even the image that I used for the thumbnail, is that just all made up stuff? Because so much of that whole, you know, medical science world is, is manufactured and, uh, you know, how to nourish these systems. And then the big revelation that you said right off the top when you accepted the interview was how the nervous and the metabolic system actually uh, work in tandem with each other like yin yang and I'm like ooh, now we're really on to something here so this should be a very interesting conversation I uh, will uh, just go live on Rockfin it looks like okay we're good to go there I'm going to get a link from the uh, or put a link in the chat here and hello Missy Bear welcome glad to have you here and there's the Rockfin link come and say hi in the chat I know there was a, a bunch of people excited and waiting and uh, people keep sending me questions for you which is a fun thing. I like that. I always welcome that, by the way. If I'm having a guest and you have a question for them, just definitely let me know. Mm -hmm. So what have you been up to, Bear? You said you've already had a long day at 10 a.m. Well, um, we get up, you know, right when it's barely light because it's uh, pretty warm here this time of year. And so we have to get out and start irrigation lines and all that. So usually the first couple uh, hours before the sun's up, I'm out there in my bathrobe running around on the farm, uh, you know, turning on water lines and picking up slugs and just kind of checking, making sure, you know, everything's intact. Got a lot of moving parts. Every year we keep expanding the farm here and we did a huge expansion this year. So we've been busy, but all fun stuff. Nice, nice. In what way are you expanding the farm? Well, we, you know, we have acreage, so every year we cultivate new acreage and, uh, you know, we're not a, a kind of farm where we have flat land and rows of corn and that sort of thing. We're a medicinal herb farm, plus we grow a lot of food and we're in the wilderness, so we have to conform our um, cultivating to the land. You know, it's not flat, there's hillsides, we terrace, we go through the forest and, you know, I grow a lot of medicinal vines that like shade. So the forest is ideal for them. And so we're always um, terraforming within nature's own contours. We'll just say that. And it's fun because um, it's really aesthetic, you know, again, not just looking at tractors out there plowing, you know, uh, rows and things. It's really labor intensive, hands-on. We have a couple uh, people here helping us and you know so we just have long long hours and digging holes and moving big boulders and you know setting trellises so this year we did some more jaguar trellises in another whole area 
And then I opened up a whole uh, new area around some buildings that we built to, uh, you know, further our laboratory capabilities and things and uh, service our customers. And that's all cultivation of Shizandra berries. So that's uh, the second major big crop. Then we have a lot of medicinal herbs um, of, uh, you know, lesser cultivation, but just enough to make our salves and our other things with it. So fun stuff. It's what I'd rather be doing more than anything. There you go. And now I remember what spurred the interview. It was one of your remedies that was uh, spe like special for the nervous system. Do you remember which one that was? I'm sure you'll have lots top of mind. I, I bet that was one with Ethereum gold in it. Yes. Bingo. Yeah. It was the gold. Because, uh, yeah, the gold, Ethereum gold, Ormus, Orm, sometimes it's called, I call it transitional gold, which is more um, scientifically specific to what that really means and and away from the old atomic theory of matter which you know doesn't work so uh but transitional gold is a substance that can really cultivate your innate superconductivity in your nervous system because it is a zero point energy system okay well let's uh let's get deep into that i just want to say hi to a few people we got some over on rockfin sorry i can't show your uh your comments could be our lion's portal ponderings. Okay. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not as hip on that. Are you an astrology fan at all, Dr. Bear? Not in the traditional astrology sense, but uh, in the sense of understanding the constellations, as far as the type of resonance they impart on botany and human biology. Uh, that's where I come from. Not so much doing birth charts and all that. Uh, not my forte. Right on. So that was one of the questions just in terms of how these systems operate in, in the natural cycles that are going on. Mm -hmm. So I know that there's always, you know, there's a time to, to plant and a time to harvest and a time to everything. I think there's a, a verse in the Bible like that. <laughs> just was hearing the song. Hello to Ursula. And Garfunkel song too. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, no, wait, maybe that's birds. Forgive me. Wrong, wrong artist. Yeah, now I got some in Garfunkel in my head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. I looked at Earthship Bear and Jean Peterson is here and uh, Mojo Shop. Glad you guys have arrived. Feel free to share any questions in the chat. I can't promise to see every single one of them, but uh, this is a, a juicy topic for me. And, you know, especially with the last three years has been so hard on our what we think to be nervous systems. Now that may or may not be true, or that might be just components of that. And, uh, you know, th there seems to be a wall and a limit to the amount of stress you can go through at the same time. I was, uh, I always joke with my son when he was a baby, I could only do, you know, if I, I could do, I could multitask eight things and handle the stress of it. But when I went to nine, then I would just fall down. Everything would fall apart. <laughs> and so there does seem to be some gatekeeper and then, uh, you know, I've, I've always taught about this more from, uh, say, you know, uh, as if psychological, spiritual, mental side about how to increase your capacity for stress, not so you could be under more stress, but that you, so you could, um, you know, because there's different kinds of stress, obviously, and maybe that would be a, a good place to to dive in and talk about. Do you do you feel like there is stress that is positive and stress that's negative does it have a different effect on on the nervous system and the metabolism how they work together or where would you like to start is there any more basic place 
that we should. Maybe we can start it on an up note, which is um, stress is not a bad thing, uh, but our reaction to it is what kills us. So when we're exposed to any kind of stress, if we learn how to adapt to it and to rise above it, I believe that's the real purpose of it. I don't believe we have to have evil on this plane in order to evolve our consciousness, but that's something that the collective has created. So we use it no different than an athlete. You know, I always like to default to my own, my old jock analogies because that's the way I relate to life. Uh, it's like going into the gym. You go there because there's a lot of resistance and it makes you stronger, but uh, it really is incumbent upon us to increase our knowledge base and also our technologies in order to deal with it. And then also to lessen our attachment to the bad guys trying to get us, which they are, uh, that's okay, get over it. But um, to understand that there's a larger purpose, uh, you know, surrounding the whole situation and not to really give them any quarter, but to, again, use it as a tool to get stronger and to achieve why we're here in the first place. Very nice. And I want you to, uh, if you could expand on lessening our attachment to the bad guys getting us, because that's actually pointing more towards nobody would be conscious of that, wanting the bad guys to get them. So you're, you're pointing towards the unconscious but this, this, and this is very much my subject in my work as well. So do you want to say more about that? Sure. You know, it, it's interesting times because a lot of people are waking up because of all the attacks on our well-being these days. That's a good thing. The challenging thing for the folks that are just starting to open their eyes and get clued into what's going on is that they have to accommodate very quickly. Even in the, I remember in my old, catechism days as a Catholic school kid, they talked about the end times and not end times, of course, as far as end of the world, but end times, uh, literally the end of time where our consciousness would come into that moment and, you know, where we come into our true power. But in that end time that things would be um, necessary for us to accommodate very quickly. And folks like myself that years ago started jumping down some rabbit holes, I had the luxury of going through a lot of emotional adjustments. And uh, as is my nature, the first thing that I went through is just getting pretty pissed off about everything, uh, you know, but I realized that, you know, that's, that's one stage. And then you, you go through a disillusionment phase and, and so forth. But then you get to the point where, okay, uh, it's time to get down to business and really understand on a deeper level what this all means. So the folks that are just now delving into all this really don't have the um, time, we'll say, to uh, be discouraged, to be angry, to be depressed. Uh, you just have to get over it right now because this is the time. This is the time of the big shift. So um, I don't know if that answers your question, but it's, uh, you know, that's, that's the point where we're at. And it's a time of greatest opportunity in the history of humanity on this plane. And it's also the time of uh, greatest challenge because we all have to make a choice. Do we, you know, it's the old faith or fear. 
And also, are we ready to assume the responsibility of being a powerful spiritual being? Mm, yeah, oh, you're dropping a lot of good bombs there. That's amazing. Um, I'd like to talk about adaptation and just emphasize that you're saying, you know, stress in and, in and of itself is not a bad thing. I'm looking at the way that the stress of the last three years actually really moved and motivated me. And, uh, and it was intense. And I'm just, I'm just kind of coming back to more finding some joy in that as well, because it was a lot of serious, a lot of work, a lot of, you know, okay, we need information, we need, we need uh, the law, or to know the law. And, and so now it's coming around, there's a little bit more room to, uh, you know, to play music, for example, that's come back into my life, maybe I'll play a song at the end of the stream today. And to have more fun with people and to, you know, not shut out the stressors, but also, I, I don't know how you feel about this, but I've just discovered that so much of the stress was sheerly manufactured propaganda for us. Uh, you know, if you've looked into any of the interviews I did with Brennan Sterling, he talks about the, the psyop of the financial collapse and can show how this is, you know, it, it's really been forced down our throat. We all believe it. We all act like someone's trying to kill me and go and take all your money out of the bank and buy a tiny home. I did all that. And, <laughs> and, you know, so I'm curious, what, what is that? You know, where's the sweet spot with that? And so you can still have joy in your life while the stress is immense. Well, the sweet spot is understanding how things work. I think today we're going to get into our neurology. And uh, that's really my forte. When I first started medicine, uh, I was geared towards sports medicine because that's the world that I came from. And that was my entry into medicine from sports. And so I was, uh, well, still am, you know, trained in kinesiology and, and uh, you know, levels of medical neurology so that I could do the work that I wanted to do. Now, in order to really understand neurology, we have to understand the larger processes at work and that the neurological mechanisms in our body are simply microcosms of much greater systems. So when we understand how the whole continuum works, even beyond our own personal biology, then uh, that gives us a lot of insight as far as our true capabilities. And as individualized consciousnesses within that larger continuum, we have the ability to throttle our attention, which is the greatest power in creation, you know, where you put your attention. We can put it on those larger processes of which we are a part of, or we can uh, downregulate into artificial overlays that have been put there by people who would do us harm or try to control us in some way. So the sweet spot is to number one, get knowledge, get the knowledge. I think somebody said that one time. And, and from that, then you can start disciplining yourself to put your attention in a way where you can be in the world, but not of it. So if you're understanding the larger processes, then you aren't focused on you know these artificial overlays which are like mists in front of the sun they're all dissipating as we speak and the people that are responsible for using those mechanisms are sowed their own demise on day one when they first started conniving all this stuff mm 
So it's not that we become, you know, dumb about what they're trying to do because it's you need to keep your ear to the ground just to keep a half a step ahead of them. You're talking about the financial system. Well, not a good time probably to keep a lot of money in the bank if you have extra money. So uh, like ourselves, if there's any cash flow coming in as we think about uh, of it from the old monetary system, well, I'm going to convert that to tangible assets that I know that are going to be uh, uh, valuable to me, you know, in the near and the far future. But then at the same time, I'm not wringing my hands about the downfall the, or the collapse of the financial system because that's what it's designed to do. And when they first instigated the Federal Reserve System in 1913, and you know even before that, uh, the bankers, the Medici's, the the Rothschilds, and so forth, you know they were already behind all the royal bloodlines and and doing that stuff back then. They just imported it, you know, into the new world. So it was designed to enslave us, and it was also designed to collapse. And they knew it had a purposeful shelf life. And when the shelf life is up, then of course that allows greater chaos where they can come in with their next level of solution, which will enslave us even more. So the, down, uh, the, 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 the point of all this is that, yeah, it's collapsing, but that's a good thing. Do you really want this slavery system to continue any longer? Now, it might mean that you have to make some adjustments. You might have to get together with other people, start bartering systems, uh, create underground economies, and you know it'll be a bit like the Wild West, which I think is a marvelous thing, and it's something that I'm eagerly anticipating. In fact, it's already starting. And you know, some of us have known about this for a long time, so we've taken greater measures for a long time to prepare for it, not just by prepping, you know, in the traditional sense, but just more accommodating our emotional body that we are going to have to be very flexible and fluid during these times. And the folks that think that, oh, my God, I'm not prepared. I'm living in the city. I don't have enough food stored and so forth. Well, guess what? There are going to be communities forming that if you are willing to roll up your sleeves and go to work and uh, enter into a new cooperative mindset, then you will be taken care of. And again, it's where is your attention on faith or fear? And so this is the best of times. And thank God the system is collapsing. Well, very interesting. I'd be curious to hear you and uh, Brennan Sterling have a conversation. I, what, what, what I reasoned, like, you know, whether it's happening or it's not happening, is that all of this, what you're discussing, is what we need to do anyway. You know, you could almost see like a narrative like that would serve us to get more related to each other, to have, uh, you know, rooted relationships that are based in food and the land and, and mutual care for each other and, uh, you know, getting out of the city and all of that kind of thing. There's nothing wrong. I don't, I don't regret a single move that I've made over the last three years, uh, even, even if things don't completely fall apart. Uh, I'm acting like they're not because those guys have been saying that for a long time already, you know, in the, the doomsday um, narratives, one form or another have come up over my lifetime. I really never fell for one until the financial thing, but we're kind of getting a little off topic. So um, maybe I'll send you a link or two, see, see if uh, what sure. you would 
say to Brandon, but, um, and, and I can't help saying last night I was looking, somebody shared a, a local Canadian, not local, but a, a national CTV clip. And it's saying, oh, they found a new scariant. And, um, you know, it's the descendant of the last, <laughs> the last scariant. And, uh, and, and then on the same page, there was a related article that said that our government is $1 billion, uh, holding on to $1 billion of um, expiring tests. And so, of course, right, like they've got this big inventory they need to move. And here comes the scariant to drive it. I mean, it's just like clockwork. You think it, it's not going to work this time, though, because of what you're saying. We have adapted to new levels of stress. We've been through this, you know, so-called, uh, you know, thing I can't even name because we're all on strike here in uh, in YouTube land. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's I just I just really wonder, based on how people have adapted, if they're actually, you know, maybe their nervous systems aren't going to be affected by this next level thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, boy, that's another whole discussion topic. Uh, one final comment about the finances, though. There yeah. is a sound money system already in place. It's never gone away. And based, all I can say is based on some folks that I have traveled with in my personal circles for decades now. And I did have a time in the banking industry working with a gentleman who was high up in G7 and put me on a board of international banks. Uh, there's uh, one bank with 50 banks, uh, members of it. So I got to be a fly on the wall and listen to people, including prime ministers and people and understanding how business is conducted from behind the scenes. And not that that means anything other than I don't just get my news from the internet or watching YouTubes. That system is already ready to launch. There are people that have our back. And that doesn't mean trust to plan or QAnon or anything like that. I don't, you know, I don't care about any of that stuff may or may not be true, but there are real interests that have our backs and the system that is designed to enslave us further. It may be implemented to a certain extent, but it's not going to work and it's not even going to work in the short term. So I would just say, I don't know what the gentleman that you're referring to has to say about it, but um, there will be a transition. It will be tough on a lot of people. In fact, not everybody's going to make it through, but there's something ready to go that is going to open up a whole new realm of possibility for us. So um, that's what we all need to be aware of so that we can participate in it and withdraw our energy from the old system. Very nice. Yeah. And I like just to emphasize how it's your contribution, your willingness to roll up your sleeves and be part of someone else's creation. Like I've been, I've worked at a farm now, this is my third year. And, uh, you know, we take very little from the land. I'm, I'm one and a half people over here eating and, uh, you know, a few potatoes and a few beets and this kind of thing. But I go and I work to my capacity every weekend for one full day, which, you know, some people might think that's not very much. That's huge for me, given what I put on my plate to, to work at. And I come away from it every single time, 100% satisfied 
Like there's, you know, and they're so grateful and we're all humbled by everybody's everything. And they let me move my house on their land. And, uh, you know, it, so it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful growing little family of, of people and mutual support and love. So like nothing wrong can come of that. And, and um, yeah, I, I really feel how so many people go through adversity in a different way and some use it to rise and then some, you know, get crushed. And you can't blame that person necessarily because I've been crushed in my life big time. But uh, it, it just shows the potential, the possibility, like you're saying, to choose the love over the fear. Stop letting fear push you around. And um, and uh, yes, Billy Tano, I'm coming out of the closet. I did I did uh, get myself a nice little tiny home that is 90, minus 90 proof for Manitoba here. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, Let's see. Um, do you want to do you want to describe? First of all, let's talk about how how does the medical system see the nervous system that is not real, or you know, like all of those images? Is that just renderings, artists' imagination about how how nerves and the nexus work? What is a big? What are the big fat lies about the nervous system? First, well, I don't think they're all just uh, renderings. Uh, you know, there are real graphic depictions of what the nerves on the physical realm look like within our bodies. But what we have to understand is in a very living body, there's many gradations of, of um, energetics and matter before it precipitates into that form that I was first trained in, you know, in, in neurology and neurophysiology. So there's a real basis for that. But we don't understand the process of what they are an extension of and how they got there in the first place, which would open up a whole new realm of possibilities, both medically and also for, as vo uh, for providing every solution that we seek and uh, open up great vistas for humanity, period. So if you look at the larger realm, and this doesn't mean that we're getting into metaphysics. It's just simply a matter of physics. When we understand the nervous system as an extension of the constellations, that's in fact what it is. Those constellations, uh, 12 in all, you know, we have 12 cranial nerves. That, you know, it, it keeps outplaying, out you know, as above, so below. So those 12 constellations are simply beaming resonance, qualified resonance to us all the time. We have 12 senses, not five. And those, that sensory apparatus is literally an extension of the heavens above. And that neurology then is, is like that part, like in Chinese medicine, they say, have your head in the clouds and your feet grounded, rooted in the earth. And that's really true. So you're talking about the, the polarities between metabolism and neurology. Well, neurology being that North Pole of a real electrical system, then precipitates. And to understand the precipitation, it's, it's very easy if you can take old world alchemy and then decipher it into a Western uh, terminology that our contemporary minds can grasp and it will describe to you exactly how resonance then 
precipitates in the matter and every step along the way. So our neurology, just like every other part of our being in our entire realm that we live in, is a precipitation of those qualified resonance. So the back to the 12 constellations, that is what our nervous system is. Now that nervous system, once it comes down through the ethers and becomes matter and grounds into the south pole, we'll you know, talk about it as a toroidal field with a north and a south uh, polarity, then that is what creates metabolism. And metabolism is what creates the blood, the organs, and all the other parts of our more the yin processes like we would think of in Chinese medicine. So the neurological pole, though, then as it becomes grounded, it becomes fixed. It's literally like it's, it's life, but then once it grounds in the matter, then at that moment of complete grounding, it's, it's matter is like dead. It's no longer the energy that animates and gives life in the first place, but it gives life to the metabolic pole and then metabolism the yin in turn gives life to our bodily processes. And in reality, it's an electrical exchange moment by moment where young animates metabolism. Metabolism gives life to our body, allows us to emanate here on the ground and then goes up for the next frame of our experience back and forth. So as fixed matter, the neurological and old alchemical terms, because it becomes fixed and, and like dead inner matter, then that is what we call the salt element. Uh, if you look at the human body, you whenever you see solid structures like the cranium, that means you're looking at a solidification of energetic forces. And it also, of course, in cases, all that headquarters of the neurology that is the receiving end of everything from above. And then when you go down further into the body, then you see that you have uh, a structure, the rib cage and so forth in the center, which is a little more flexible because the mobility of the ribs and the spinal cord. Uh, but that is then in cases, the metabolism, the metabolism being the organs and blood and everything that keeps us going. So in alchemical terms, uh, that metabolism or that central thorax part of our body, we could call that the sulfur. The sulfur is individualized soul. So when the energy comes down from above, it's anonymous God. It is not yet individualized. And that anonymity is what then our individual soul takes to make it our own and give it the unique characteristics and qualifications that make every soul that's individualized unique in all of creation. Now, the, the last uh, you know, part of the whole process is you have these limbs out here that are freely movable. And uh, that is, uh, allows us to be animated, but they have to follow the will force of the soul. If the soul says, the individualized source or, or presence says, I want to get up from the sofa and walk to the refrigerator, that is will force exerting itself. And then the extremities obey that. Now, the extremities being totally ambulatory and 
allow us to move through this three-dimensional plane, that would be called the mercury. The mercury we, uh, you know, think of as the, again, that energy that's just, we can use uh, according to our own will forces to have our experience. So again, just looking at the neurology as it condenses down, creates a metabolism that completes the whole toroidal exchange from compression to radiation. We can talk more what that actually means. And then, uh, and then finally, the ambulatory parts, the extremities that allow us to walk and talk and do all the things that our will force intends to do. So when you understand, and this gets a lot in anthroposophical medicine, people like Rudolf Steiner, not just him, but you know, there's a lot of elements that I'm kind of all conglomerating into one part, everything from waveform mechanics to anthroposophical medicine to, um, you know, old alchemical principles. But instead of getting lost in the terminology and thinking that this is very complicated, it's all very simple because they're all talking about the same exact thing. And it's much easier to understand than what people have to endure when they just go through medical school where nothing makes sense in the first place because it's not designed to make sense. There you go. <laughs> oh my gosh, Bear. I'm going to have to listen to that last section uh, several times over. You dropped so much really solid information in there. Um, and it's so clear from talking, and maybe that's where the medical system has its um, you know, downfall in just that it talks about everything like it's a um, unique unto itself closed system. And, and what you're describing is a whole entire movement, not just in our own systems, but like, you know, cooperating with the heavens and, and interacting. No doubt there's a two-way feedback going on there as well. I'm sure you've, uh, you've thought about that. Um, do you want to talk about that? You said compression to what was the second part of that? I, I missed the... Radiation. So now you're you're talking more about just compressing energy fields, no different than our computers are doing right now. They're taking energy, they're taking waveforms and it's compressing it, which is data, informational fields, into a form where you and I can talk to each other on the screen here and other people can listen in as well. So everything works the same and our bodies are no exception. So as our consciousness on the higher levels, it is beyond the illusion of just this little simulation here, for lack of a better term, um, that is possessing an intent and a purpose and fueling that with a passion or a desire. Now that creates energy fields or waveforms, information that then through the etheric mechanisms precipitates into matter and experience. So that is what we call the compression cycle. People like Walter Russell were the first to really make that information accessible to the Western consciousness. And now at the same time, that energy is being dispersed and radiated in the opposite direction. So in other words, if you're watching a movie, if you get stuck on one frame, you're not going to have the experience of, of a movie. You're just going to be looking at a still. So if we have the radiation cycle dispersing those informational fields simultaneously at the exact moment they're being compressed, then it allows consciousness to reframe the next moment 
and make it appear that time is moving in a forward trajectory and that we are in fact moving around and doing all these things that we think we're doing. Now, if on the other hand, we get a hang of what's really going on there, we realize there's no forward movement at all. If you look at waveform mechanics and you look at a wave moving forward in a spiral uh, trajectory and creating those frames, that gives us a sequential progression that we perceive as time. But if we saw it for what it was, there's no forward movement at all. And if we saw both cycles happening the way they're really doing, you would see a waveform that where there's superimposed a trough and an apex at the same time, that's literally an oscillation and no movement at all. When I move my hand across the screen like that, my hand's not moving. It's a perception of movement, but not actual movement. So when you understand the mechanics of that, and if you adapt maybe some Eastern practices, uh, you know, that were popularized through the martial arts and yogic practices and so forth, and get to be in that so-called Zen moment, that's when you get these lapses of, uh, you know, being in the simulation in the first place. And then, of course, the true mastery is to reach those states where you're at the equator rather than being in the compression or the radiation cycle. Now you're at the equator, the midpoint of that, and you're just in absolute stillness. And in that absolute stillness, if you can maintain that and then also learn how to manipulate the physical realm, not only will you be more adept at creating the experiences that you want rather than what somebody else wants for you and, and going into that kind of victim mentality, but uh, you're also, again, that's, that's the definition of being in the world and not of it. And no matter what's happening around us, whether the financial system's collapsing or we're breathing neurotoxins in the atmosphere, uh, you know, that's, that's what this realm is here to help us achieve, which is mastery. Mm -hmm. Amazing. As a child, I would experiment with um, stopping that time that you're talking about, the, that, that experience. And for me, it was um, even just with the eyes to stop the movement of my retina. Somehow I discovered if I could stop the movement of the retina, the image would disappear. And the, mm -hmm. and the, you know, it, I was very tuned in also the other night about how the plasma nature of the simulation, uh, especially that I can observe inside myself and the movement of energy. And it's, you know, when you see that lunar wave, the, the crow, the crow film of the, of the, you know, that, that plasma nature and, and, you know, pla plasma being, what's the relationship of plasma to that intelligence? They say four state of water, all of that kind of thing. Is, is this all relating? Yeah, absolutely. And going back to your question about the true nature of nerves. Well, we're looking at snapshots of what it looks like at the end of the precipitation cycle, the compression cycle. In our bodies, in reality, they're very fluid and they're only held in a certain state of form and function by what our consciousness is fixated on. So in the body, we're starting to talk about nerves. We're starting to bring in new terminologies in the recent decades, neuroplasticity, where uh, certain 
scientists, scientist types and physicians are saying, you know, our nerves actually adapt all the time. In medical studies, I was told that if there is something wrong with a nurse, uh, damage or some kind of degenerative process, you're out of luck because nerves don't regenerate. Well, that's absolutely false. They are shape-shifting all the time. And the reason why it seems difficult sometimes to change our behaviors is because those belief systems and chronic emotions that shape our behaviors then create a neuroplastic accommodation of our nerves, which is no different than a train going down some established train tracks. So we can start to intellectualize about uh, a need or desire to change our behavior, but then we keep doing the same stuff. And it's because those tracks are, uh, you know, unless you really do uh, a lot of inner work, uh, you're going to stay on those same tracks. And uh, so it seems like a little bit of an arduous process sometimes. But when we start making those changes, then the nerves will be very fluid and accommodate. They'll actually change, say, uh, change size and function. And the little uh, dendritic hands at the end of nerve fibers change uh, their ability to accommodate um, different exchanges at the neuromuscular junction and also where they meet uh, organs and so forth so that then they will be more amenable to certain kinds of neurotransmitters versus others. When we're in a state where we feel limited and stuck, we're more accommodated to those stress hormones and things. And we're gonna be manufacturing more of those where the opposite takes place when we start making those changes. So if we could, you know, just like, uh, Shaolin monk could suspend all of our belief systems all at once, which takes them years and years of practice to do, then you would see medical science would actually be able to take pictures and things of nerves just in a much more plasma fluidic state rather than fixed uh, dendritic kind of branches and structures. And then if you want to get into the astrology of things, you'd have to go up to the constellation of Gemini which is the resonance that creates all of those branching uh, sort of structures or networks in our body in the first place and sets the, st the, the framework for that kind of biological development, whether it's in capillaries or nervous networks and so forth. We'd also have to understand that it all starts in the constellation of Aries, which is what controls our optic thalamus and our higher brain centers and starts creating that first spark of electricity through the third ventricle of the brain and the cerebral spinal fluid, and then goes down through torus through the high brain or the through the lower brain uh, and the brain stem in order to carry those messages down into torus, which has another whole function to take those messages to the spleen, and then finally to Gemini that's going to create the branching networks, you know, to get the word out just like. You know, anybody that tunes into our broadcast now for the first time, you know, now we have another little dendrite going out to another person that's hearing the same message. So that's really how it works. That's how I relate to astrology, because it really has a basis in science 
and its uh, understanding, it can be put to a practical use uh, in the practice of medicine and growing plants and also making medicines. Mm. Wow. You always blow my mind, Dr. Bear. <laughs> like big time. Yeah. No, I, I, after, after our interviews, my head is just like, whoa, uh, in, a, in a really beautiful way. The, um, that interconnectivity is something that I saw as a teenager. I was um, my very last time experimenting with, I'll just say it because it's no big deal, but um, the, the LSD, I don't think anyone's going to flag that. And, um, and literally seeing, I did it then not, not for entertainment, like I had my whole childhood and, uh, but it was just, okay, what's going on here? I had started to meditate. I was starting to that inward path and really to explore. And I was gifted a vision of this exact thing that you're talking about, those train tracks and how there is a propensity for the, the awareness to get, uh, you know, to merge with that track and and go on it and be stuck in the same old patterns of thinking and behaving and all of that kind of thing and and I could even see how you know, some of those nexus were so uh overloaded like when you've got too many extension cords and you got a fire hazard and there was a lot of like you know dirty energy on it and I could see that that was maybe the seeds of something like cancer or whatever I shouldn't say that word but um and and then I, and then I started to play with it in that experience. How I could I could with my intention, my volition, I could withdraw from the, the those train tracks, and um, then use it became like an instrument that I could bounce off of by pinging the surfaces that I became aware of, and then there was this kind of symphony thing going on. Uh, and uh, then I came to and I got really depressed because I knew I would spend the whole entire rest of my life learning what I was gifted in that vision because I didn't have it. I just had a, then I just had a memory of it. So anyway, I had to share. I don't think I've ever told that story in public. No, absolutely. And that's, uh, you know, just the, the more we do the work, then you get these little light bulbs that go on and you understand, you know, what's actually happening. And it's about realizing we're not fixed in any way. Everything is a living plasma projecting radiance that allows us to receive uh, more efficiently and also to create moment by moment exactly what we desire. Uh, but, you know, we've been brought into these, uh, the, the materialism where everything is looked at in um, incongruent parts and everybody's always trying to figure out how each of those little minutial parts work and trying to find the life in those parts where, you know, it's just literally an inversion. Now, when I was first in my medical studies, I had certain things I was curious about, but I just went along with the program and memorized the books and, and, uh, you know, for whatever reason, it just left me unsettled. So I had to go elsewhere, but you know, most doctors, they just, with all good intentions, they think they're learning the most advanced knowledge about the body, you know, uh, or any branch of science, uh, you know, and they just take it at face value and, 
and get very skeptical of anything else because how could you possibly know something that I didn't learn from the most expensive, uh, prestigious institution in the world? So that's how you create the gatekeepers. You create a greater and deeper indoctrination so that they will, you know, whether you're a tax preparer, a medical doctor, or a lawyer, you're going to keep everybody in that same little box. But the, the box is broken wide open right now, and people aren't buying it anymore. So that's, that's the fun thing of what's happening right now. Yeah, the box just isn't true, even though it feels true. This is a big distinction that I teach in my work. So, so it seems by all appearance and evidence to be true that you are these different parts and in these different boxes and these categories. And then you ask them, but is it true? And then there's a, uh, another faculty, higher mind comes in and, and goes like, yeah, no, it's actually not true. Ah, could you let go of what's not true? Right. And then like you're, you were saying also that we, we start teaching this matter how to be. We've always been teaching the matter how to be, but we've been doing it more unconscious without the sense that we're choosing. Again, not feeling that. And so when you start to flip that and you gain that, that uh, you realize, oh, everything's listening to me. When I say it's separate, oh, there I get an experience of separateness. When I say it's one, Hmm. Wow. This is more fun over here. <laughs> so yeah, really amazing points. Um, do you want to talk about how desire plays in with that? You mentioned earlier talking about that. Is that to, the desire? Is that the same as the, as the volition or the will? Desire is a fuel. Um, I, you know, we could just use very simple analogies that are true to life experiences. For instance, let's just say, Beth, you and I want to go out and start a business. And we have once a week business meetings. And we're like, oh, this would be a good idea. Why don't we sell widgets? And kind of going back and forth. Okay, see you next week. And probably not much is going to happen. Now, if you and I get together and we're just really stoked about Whatever we're planning to do, we're excited. Uh, there's a passion because we believe in what we're doing. We think it's going to help a lot of folks out. It might even be great for our own bottom line. You know, that passion, that excitement, that heightened emotion is what fuels things. And I think that's just an, an easy understanding that anybody can relate to. Uh, if you're in sports performance, you don't just go out there and run around lackluster you get into the game. So when we have an intention and a thought, which then begins that whole cascading precipitating mechanism that creates our experience, if there's no intense desire or passion behind it, it's really not going to have the velocity to pop into the simulation or the matrix or whatever you want to call it. So now when you get into the stratification of the etheric mechanism that makes our biology, just now, if you look at the larger realm, you know, the old alchemists had different terms for it and, you know, equated it to different elements, basically four realms. If we just want to simplify it, the same thing in our body 
is those same four rungs with subplanes and things we get fancy about, but it's a microcosm of the same thing. And so we have the mental plane, we have the emotional plane, we have the etheric plane, and then finally the physical. No different than a larger realm. So in that emotional plane, that's where the mental concepts start coagulating into, you know, picking up the steam through the emotional. And, you know, the emotional can work in both ways, too. If it's based in fear or the iffies and the, the coodies and that kind of things, uh, then, you know, then we're creating exactly what we're afraid of. Uh, if, on the other hand, it's uh, positivity and going to create the change that we want to see in our own life, then it's going to create that. But the emotional plane is is instrumental in every single instance. And it also is what um, then equates into the eventual water plane. Uh, you know, if you look at it in terms of the elements, when we're talking about the larger etheric realm of the etheric realm, uh, then we go into the water and the water is that conduit that also is very much akin to what we think of as our emotional bodies. So, and water is, is a conduit for all those informational fields. And that's where it picks up those qualifications that we think of as emotion. So emotion, desire, passion, whatever you want to call it, you can't have an experience one way or the other, unless there's some emotional content. And that's why in the, we'll just throw them out there, what we, again, loosely call the Ascended Master teachings, they say, you can think and grow rich all you want, but if there's no emotion behind it, then you're not going to achieve any mastery. So the real mastery is about harnessing our emotions, not trying to suppress them, but just learning how to modulate them. You know, a waveform, we can think of waveforms in two ways. We can think of them as carrier waves, where it's just a conduit like a river. And then we can modulate them with our intent, with our emotions and so forth, that then create a pulsation, which gives it a different frequency. A frequency is nothing more than the number of apexes and troughs in a given time frame. That's that's all it is. And it's nothing you know more complicated than that. So when we modulate the frequency of those waveforms that are created with an idea and consciousness, then that is in fact going to impart the characteristics and the nature of our experience once we actually have it on the ground. Nice. We're geeking out right now. <laughs> so good. Um, I'm missing all the all the comments in the chats because I really have to pay attention to stay uh, respectable part of this conversation. So forgive me. We'll go maybe go back to some uh, comments as well. Um, when just just to cover some of the things that so you know when they're making attacks on the nervous system for example and uh you talked about the aerosols and there's a number of ways and through our through our water you know contamination of water and fluoride and all that kind of thing and do you think that they're first of all aware of 
the bigger system and how it works, or does that even matter? Um, you were saying earlier how we're we're taught that nerve damage could be permanent, especially the brain. Like I, I was taught that the brain cells actually don't replicate over. You, like you got what you got, and then if you lose them, you're done. Uh, so, you know, how does that work with, with the way that they're attacking us? And then how do we jujitsu that around at them potentially? Okay. So um, a lot of little parts to that. First off, in the brain, we have a preponderance of glial cells. It's connective tissue and they don't proliferate in the same manner as normal connective tissues elsewhere. So when we're diagnosed with a brain tumor, what we're really experiencing mostly is swelling. We could get into German new medicine and how Dr. Hammer explained those swellings and where they come from, but we'll leave that alone for right now. Okay. Uh, those swellings can become problematic, absolutely, but there's a way to deal with those as well. Now, as far as do they understand the larger realm and what they're doing? Well, the people that are flying uh, planes up in the sky to get a paycheck and aerosoling us and uh, folks in, you know, putting things into people's body in other ways, um, they don't, they're doing the wet work and maybe they're just ignorant. Maybe they're doing it for money. Maybe they're compromised in some way. There's all sorts of reasons, but they generally, in my experience, uh, aren't really aware of the whole shebang. However, the folks that put this together over centuries, they know exactly what they're doing. So if I'm in this biological spacesuit and I notice I wake up with a headache and I see the skies checkerboarded and I've also had experience reading reports, uh, you know, findings in people's uh, blood assays and so forth, where there's a preponderance of these heavy metals and things that didn't used to be there. Uh, in that situation, I'm going to say, okay, um, I don't have to go down the tubes and get all emotionally wrought about it, but I might do a coffee enema. Uh, I might go out and do some nice exercise, get some sunshine, eat good food, drink good water, and think double plus positive thoughts and just do the best I can. And then in that case, you'll find that the headache will go away. It doesn't accumulate. You know, when tissues in the body start degenerating, they go through six predictable phases to their final demise. And the Chinese knew that way back thousands of years ago. They called it the six stages of disease in homotoxicology and uh, German medics, you know, came to the same conclusions. So if you're aware of that, and if you're aware that you're getting sprayed like a bug and that sort of thing, and you feel the repercussions, and the more sensitive and healthy you become, the more sensitive you are to those things. It's kind of a double-edged sword. You know, there's a lot of people out there, and they say, what are you talking about? I don't feel anything. Well, they're so polluted and so far down, you know, into the fourth, fifth, and sixth stage of degeneration and accumulations that they can't even, you know... Um, muster up the sensitivity to feel that anything's changed in the first place. So it's kind of a good sign that you can feel things and that your body has upchucking reactions. So just become knowledgeable on how to help it along so you can, you know, stay in the game that much longer. But then at the same time, you realize that what these controllers understand is that the neurological mechanism 
which is our extension of the constellations above us, as we already explained, they are now interceding in between and creating overlays that will do two things. They will dampen our abilities to perceive from those higher realms, and they'll also pollute us in the process in order to make us feel like crap, which has a whole effect on your will force over time. You get discouraged and then you end up just resigning. And if you're resigning because you don't know any better or you're resigning because you're, you know, watching Alex Jones 24 hours a day. I love Alex Jones, nothing wrong with him. But if that's all you're dwelling on, then you're going to be obsessed with the bad guys that are trying to kill us. Well, there are bad guys. They are trying to kill us, but you don't have to be a casualty. So it goes back to that choice and bringing our consciousness to that place where all purity derives from and not picking up those lower frequencies that they're purposely placing there. And then simultaneously taking care of your biology on the ground so you don't accumulate what they're trying to get in our bodies in the first place. And then, of course, it gets into understanding the things that some people do voluntarily because they have been told it will prevent bad things from happening. And then if you go into that realm of ignorance and do those things, then you're really a sitting duck. So um, anyway, I'll stop there. Tell me if I'm uh, <laughs> responding appropriately or not. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's perfect. It's in, in a way it's beautiful because it doesn't matter what the attack is that we're always doing the same job, just responding. I like your point that, you know, the, the cleaner you are, the more sensitive you are. We actually did a workshop recently in the House of Free Will and they were talking about the HSP, highly sensitive people. And I never have identified by that, but I'm like, oh, yeah, canary in the coal mine. Uh, yeah. Like every little thing they I can smell it. Nobody can smell it. There's just that that kind of thing. So it's a blessing and a curse. And I think that stops a lot of people from doing the work to to uh, clean out in, in a variety of different ways because you st you feel more. You're you're literally more. Uh, there's less between you and that direct experience of what's happening. So it's mm -hmm. uh, you know it's a so-called cost, but but the the cost of and I'm going to use this word my girlfriend coined the other night numbism right we we're we're in a in a world of numbism it's like a cult, and that to me is a much higher cost, even though it seems to be pain free it is the biggest pain you could ever have, in that mm -hmm. state, and that's what happens. You know, Go ahead. No, you you finish your thought uh, there. Say that's what happens when you're th this. I experimented with as a child too. Like you tap your arm like this, and uh, mm -hmm. two hours later, and it's completely numb. You can't feel it, right? They've, it might be painful for a, a time, and then it and then it will numb over because of that repeated nervous stimulation. Mm -hmm. um, I was just going to say that what really helped me is my practice. You know, I did it for many years, and I saw a lot of people every single day. And early on, I would pick up things, take them home, and, uh, you know, they'd really be devastating sometimes. And I didn't really, at that point, understand how to buffer myself sufficiently. And also, 
developed a knack for separating what's yours and what's not yours. And with practice over a long time, I not only became better at picking up things that then I could be more useful as a practitioner to help people, but also understand what I was feeling and where it was coming from and not taking it home with me every night. So, um, you know, that old saying, I think it's really true. You kind of do what you need to learn the most. And uh, so years of medical practice for me really helped me, uh, you know, perceive more clearly uh, so that I could be more receptive and sensitive to picking up information and really understanding more about that information, but at the same time, not taking it on. Mm -hmm. And then of course, the ultimate is where you perceive your own stuff and don't take that on either. You don't go into self-judgment about it. You just go, Oh, okay. Thanks for showing me that. And then you deal with it. Otherwise, you get into the self stories, and those are the worst of all because you never get out of the story. And that's how people bypass, right? That that you you bypass the actual energy of it. This is something I wrote about in my book called "An Empty Why." And when you're, you know, you did something and you did it again, and and you're like, "Why? Why? Why?" <laughs> and uh, and and there's no good answer to that question as it turns out, right? There's no good reason why you keep doing that thing that harms you or harms someone else. And, uh, but inside the, the nature of that empty why was, was a certain kind of plasma energy. And, and so instead of bypassing by beating myself as if that's, you know, again, the numbism, right? Headed for numbism, then by going into that and experiencing the, 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 empty why for the energy that it was and then right it's not there anymore and it's not even relevant in my world my behavior so yeah and energy creates matter not the other way around so if you have energy you're feeling it emotionally or any which way it's kind of silly to go into the story which is a byproduct of the energy Whereas if we go into the energy, now we don't have to have those stories anymore. It's the same thing with medicine. If somebody comes in with a diagnosis of MS, or if they come in with a diagnosis of Lou Gehrig's, or Parkinson's, or dementia, it doesn't matter which diagnosis, which is a story, All that's telling me is that there has been a neurodegenerative process and in any particular body, it might attack the neuromuscular junction or in another body, it might attack the myelin sheaths or it might, you know, start creating changes in the gray matter of the brain or in the amygdala to create Parkinson's, but it's all the same cause. So, you know, you use the same understanding rather than trying to find a cure for MS or having a protocol, even an alternative protocol for MS. No, you get to the cause. And then, of course, you can get really fancy and look at, okay, 
what is the attacking of the myelin sheath symbolic of as opposed to attacking the neuromuscular junction. Those are two different energetic, emotional predispositions that will tell you a great amount about that person so that while you're cleaning up the biology from neurotoxins and taking measures to help the body go back into a regenerative state, you can also understand the qualifications on that emotional state that created uh, neurological changes of one type versus the other from individual to individual. Beautiful. Yeah. So you greatly simplify the situation where people are hypnotized by those diagnoses and the complexity of it. And they're down the rabbit hole, getting all this so-called information, missing the root, because that's, you know, the expression of something, like you said, six stages of disease, you know, you're going to all be at uh, different places. But if you trace it back to your root, then that's where you are. I'm, I'm absolutely down with that on the, on the physical and uh, the emotional, spiritual level that once you, once you get the, get to the root and in, you know, in my case, it's more like, um, harvesting that energy now now seeing it as plasma has organized in a certain way you weren't aware of it it was you know we maybe organized it when we weren't having discrimination and then you can give new instructions like oh you don't need to organize like that anymore i'll be fine <laughs> you don't need to create like a you're gonna die experience in your gut anymore oh okay great that that's oh that's much nicer when the energy just goes uh and and is uh released becomes free again in that respect what you're doing is self-modulating you're learning that you have the ability and it actually behooves you to modulate the frequency and that's what the uh the larger realm does all the time you have seven seven different ray projections within this realm that are living conscious um entities and intelligences we'll say and then those seven rays are then modulated through the 12 constellations those constellations are further modulated through the etheric medium and so forth it so happens that our body being a microcosm of that energetically we have the the 12 regulating uh centers that some people call chakras actually 12 and we have um a sevenfold flame in our forehead that that is constantly not just animating us, but giving us all the qualifications that allow our biology and our experience to work. And then that in turn is modulating through the regulating centers. And then that's picked up through the neurology and so on and so forth. No different than what's happening above us all the time. That's why I think it's really useful to understand how the whole realm works and in that way, we understand how we work. And then we can also precipitate in more useful ways where, for instance, if we think uh, need certain technologies, we don't have to mine lithium out of the ground and have slave labor to do it and have finite resources that we bring up inappropriately and that, that also create contamination at the same time we can start learning how to modulate that etheric realm to precipitate things that we need without digging it up in some kind of entropic 
format or, or mechanism or process, I should say. Uh, Walter Russell described the waveform mechanics of all the different elements. And if we understand that waveform, we can create it. We can create that element from a waveform in physical form. We can create hybrids of different elements. Say you want a vehicle that's as light as titanium and transparent as you know, glass, uh, then we can create materials that have all those properties and we can do it in a way through waveform mechanics and then uh, feed that information through 3D printers and things and have assembly lines and not have to mine a darn thing. There you go. I remember one of our interviews, we were talking about cell salts and I was like, well, what if we can't get the cell salts? And you're like, well, we can manufacture for ourselves, render our own cell salts. Yeah, yeah, along those lines. Really, really beautiful. Um, I'd like to talk about these two systems, the nervous and the metabolic. And and just to, like, I think you've already intimated this, but we're, we're talking about the masculine feminine here, are we not? Those, those two mm -hmm. elements, yep. And then how do you see that, say, like with the sun and the moon, someone asked me specifically to ask you if you and Ben Balderson had a, a conversation about the sun and the moon, would you agree on that? Like is the is the moon more of the feminine, which is that classic narrative that we've all been kind of born and raised with, or do you see it more as masculine and the sun as masculine or feminine? Um, forgive me, I'm not aware of Ben uh, or oh, what... Okay. what he Okay. Okay. Yeah. I was wondering if your paths had crossed or not. So, no. yeah. So he's a little bit of a rogue. And he, Balderson. Balderson. Okay. Yeah. I'll look him up. He's, yeah. He's there in California as well. And you guys would have a very okay. interesting conversation. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the two of you could come on and talk sometimes. So he's an alchemist as well, uh, a practical alchemist, a lab alchemist. And um, he, he goes off on a limb to say that the moon is actually masculine energy. The sun is the feminine energy. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I was, do you agree with that? Well, I, th I think I know what he's getting at. Um, technically, you know, the solar would be more that masculine uh, you know, and, and the lunar, the, the feminine. Um, however, again, we're looking at fixed elements. And even though there's plasma projections that we would call the sun and the moon, and I'm pretty convinced that's what they are. Me too. If you were to look at the etheric nature of them, you would see a cycle. And not just a cycle of them progressing around the earth, but you would also see the cyclic transformation of the moon energy into the solar energy and so forth. So on another level, I can't really distinguish them as one versus the other. Does that make right. sense at all? It sure does. So, yeah, that's, that's yeah. the whole point. Again, we're, we're focusing on the visualization at any one point in time. Whereas it, that's really not the nature of anything. I would love to pick his brain further, though, and see what his take is. Uh, but if someone were to just ask me, you know, on the surface, I'd say, ah, yeah, solar, masculine, 
and I could rationalize that with things from everything from Chinese medicine to uh, waveform mechanics and, and you name it. But I also am very, or convinced I'll say that uh, it's not just, there, you, when you get into creation and waveform mechanics and all these things we're talking about, there's only one substance, period. There's only one thing. And then we understand through those disciplines how those, that one thing multiplies to give the illusion of many things, including the sun and the moon. But uh, yeah, you've got my curiosity up as far as uh, talking to Ben. Well, maybe I could have both of you on to have this conversation. I, I have a feeling it would be incredibly fruitful. And, and, and your point is very well taken right from the start of this interview that, you know, it, it is a system. We are, we're using our photographic attention to take a, a picture that's not accurate. It's not showing the movement between, you know, if we start talking about it being electricity, the masculine feminine poles, the anode and the cathode, cathode, mm -hmm. you don't have one without the other. You know, I, I'm always saying this with the masculine feminine, I call it one archetype because you can't, you can't have one and have it be actually existing as its own true nature. It, it only ever exists like this. And so then, yeah, you're, you're trying to describe the moving target. The, the moon is interesting just from a personal note. I have a much stronger relationship with it now, perceiving mm -hmm. its transmission to be masculine because that makes sense. If it's feminine, then, then it's, you know, uh, it, it, then it's like and like, but, but this is where it, it, there's actually the polar energy that it's feeding me that, you know, maybe if I'm more predominantly feminine, it's feeding me the masculine and I can see over, over, you know, so that's just my own internal, internal. So uh, that, that's interesting that you put it like that, because if I just suspend all mental processes and feel, I would feel that exact thing. And also the opposite about the sun. And I, I, you know, we talk a lot and I don't pretend to know anything. I don't have any original ideas. I just find what works in all the things that I do. And some of these concepts give me terminology and, and ways of doing things so that I can go out and farm. I can work on bodies and, you know, go into my alchemy lab and, you know, and, and play around. Um, but when it comes to doing all those things, uh, you know, and I've, I've learned a lot of ways to do laboratory assessments, all, all, all the stuff that seems real kind of brainiac stuff, but in my own personal life, I'm 100% uh, fly by the seat of my pants, doing whatever I feel from moment to moment. And, uh, you know, the reason why I think I take this rule on a little bit, just doing blah, blahs out in public is just to, you know, uh, just retrace some of the steps that I went through that led me to the place where I really trust how I feel more than anything, because I think that's where it's at. So yeah, the moon, I feel, you know, d definitely a very strong masculine kind of pull from it and the opposite with the sun. You, you're absolutely right. I don't know if that's what Ben's getting at or something else, but it would be fun to know. And, and the main thing for me at this point in life is just, it's just fun to learn and to have discourses with people. And uh, the, the, the worst ex experience is to get to a point where you think you know anything in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's a, a really beautiful way to walk where you're just, 
because it makes you open. You don't, you haven't, speaking of fixed and maybe the salts and all of that kind of thing, when you're, when you're less fixed, then you can actually take in new information because it's coming at mm. us all the time. Uh, yeah. So yeah, no, that creates a lot of fluidity between that, that yin and that yang. Um, so we haven't talked super a lot about the metabolic system. Now I associate that with digestion, metabolism. I know cellular metabolism, you're talking as above, so below what, you know, how, how does that, um, metabolism show up in the ethers that can be observed? Uh, you know, we maybe all know the basics of food, but how do you, how do you really nourish the metabolic system? Is that automatically nourishing the nervous system because of its interconnectivity in that way? I know that's like a hundred questions. It's your turn. No, that's okay. Uh, meta <laughs> metabolism is, you know, first of all, animated by the nerves. And then of course, once the nerves do their job, that, that North pole we we're talking about from the constellations, then that becomes fixed. And what we think of as sort of dead matter, because matter has no life. Life is what gives matter the ability to move. So the metabolic pole is the precipitation of all the informational fields and, um, what I have come to think is that the blood is really our entire history of every embodiment. It has, it's, it's a carrier, the fluid medium, the channels that, you know, carry the currents of all the energetic matrix that's um, has the record, the Akashic of every experience we've had in every embodiment since we, first came into embodiment. And then that, of course, is going to outplay into our physical form to give it the outer appearances, as well as, uh, you know, the function, uh, the strength, as well as the challenges that we have in every organ system of our body. So if you think of the nerves first, bringing the residents down and then reanimating another body, which starts with a single atom, we call the seed atom that then embryologically unfolds and becomes our heart and then differentiates into our whole human form again. That is going to be um, another re-embodiment of every experience we've ever had. And that is all we need to know about because what's on our plate is going to tell us where we've been, what we still need to do. And then, of course, eventually that metabolism is going to uh, moment by moment be brought up into those informational fields in order to be renewed again and again, even after the embryological unfoldment in the first place. So the metabolism is what brings, precipitates our uh, physical form that's conveyed through the nerves in the first place, I guess would be the most simple way you could put it. Nice. And so you say, even at the level of emotional and spiritual experiences, I have learned, uh, you know, it's, it's technique might be just metaphor, you know, enough of a suggestion to the mind that's gives something to work with in that subtle realm. But the, the concept of, you know, metabolizing, uh, an, an emotion, metabolizing a, uh, you know, hard thought of some kind, harder to catch thoughts because they're, they're on the fast side. Emotions are a little easier to, to um, ground into, which pro ground is probably a wrong word, but then that 
you know, it, it does feel like a digestive process. So you're, instead of rejecting the energy that's not wanted, you're actually taking it in all the way in. And some people call it integrating. I don't use integration much or, you know, that there's, there is some, uh, and harvesting, right. You're get, we're getting into this, like that you're, that you're able to take in, maybe separate the wheat from the chaff and go, okay, I'm going to eat the wheat and wheat and leave the chaff. Do you, do you see that that's a process that's happening as well? Yes, I would call the transmutation process. And that's what every organ is designed to do. Every tissue of the body. Uh, it takes energy that is no longer useful and transmutes the, it requalifies it, it remodulates it. I, you know, uh, separation again is um, a, a good analogy, but maybe um, not true energetically. So nothing, there's no parts to separate uh, in the alchemical lab. Uh, I actually do that, uh, you know, where you'll, let's just say you're taking a mineral plant, it doesn't matter, you separate into the three components, the, the salt, the sulfur, and the mercury, and you do all sorts of recombining and purification and all sorts of stuff. So you kind of play that game, but then the real process is to understand that you're taking energetic qualities from those components purifying them which is a transmutation process and recombining and that is a larger transmutation process in fact that's what goes on in the body every single moment we think that if we take a particular mineral into our body that that is going to for instance you could take in uh, sodium and you think that okay that's going to have an effect on the fluids of our body and everything like in ayurvedic medicine they have um, or Ayurvedic culture will say they use a lot of salt and everything. And because they live in tropical environments, largely in the South of India, you know, it's just kind of rationalized. Well, that's probably to maintain fluids and things. And that's why they put salt into everything they drink and eat. But what they're really doing is understanding that sodium in the body is in transmuted into potassium. So say you never got any potassium in your diet, but you're salting. Well, the body is going to transmute the salt into potassium anyway. And potassium keeps your body cool. If you want calcium, one of the most inefficient ways to get calcium in your body, which is a very necessary element, you know, involved in every metabolic process, well, you're better off uh, taking other elements like silica, potassium, and magnesium because the body takes those three substances and changes them into calcium. And so that endogenous, that internal transmutation of those three elements into calcium is how your body really likes to get its calcium. And then if you look at calcium and say, well, I want to supplement calcium. Well, there's different forms of it. And if you know the different forms, now you can push your electrical line of resistance, your pH with calcium. That's really what the external use of calcium is for. So same thing with emotions in Chinese medicine. You know, of course they say, well, anger is associated with the liver. Well, that means that that particular organ 
is meant and designed to take the energy of anger and transmute it to purify it into a more useful energy. The spleen with worry and kidneys and, you know, with fear and so on and so forth. They are all modulating units that transmute energy. So that's really what metabolism is. So you make a very good point. It's not just creating ATP, uh, you know, out of glucose and oxygen and, and doing those things that we like to learn about in chemistry or biochemistry. It's about the transmutation of energy and what we think of as matter. Mm, and yeah. that's what the metabolic pole is designed to do so that no different than an alchemical lab, you're going through a purification process and then sending that back up to the North Pole so that it can come back down through less of a qualified prism and to create a healthier and more robust metabolism. And that's what the whole alchemical process is, is about. Mm, beautiful. That ties it together. And do so you were kind of intimating this, that if you were to say, you know, take calcium, you're, you're actually going to, it sounds like it's, it will be much less efficient and could even set you back. I've heard a lot of, if you just focus on calcium for a second, a lot of calcium can end up creating like spurs in your bones or something, or, you know, a lot of pain. And um, even in general, when you think about taking in, it was, I think it was Andy Kaufman that would, I, I'm a huge proponent of eating probiotic foods. I, my fridge is really full of ferments right now. And I, I drink and, and eat uh, kefir water grains and, and I notice a huge difference in, in my health. And then he would say, well, don't take that in because then your body's going to stop making it. Do you agree with that? Um, not necessarily because we're getting probiotics all the time, especially if you eat directly from the ground. You're always taking in right. organisms, soil-based organisms, um, you know, when you uh, create cheese from raw milk products. Exactly. You're talking about, you know, probiotics just being a loose term for a certain realm of microorganisms that I would say are like uh, co-conspirators for us, you know, that, that help us. And then, of course, we have our own uh, internal microorganism populations that have very specific functions at the same time. So we're one walking Petri dish of things that we're interacting with from the outside, what we consume, what's already inside of us. And then they all get along just fine together, you know, in a healthy ecology internally. So that that's just my take on it. Um, and then, you know, just last comment about calcium is we need to be, this is for supplementation because calcium's in everything. You know, if you're eating any kind of plant matter, it's, it's ubiquitous and calcium that we get from green leafy vegetables, we'll say it's conjugated, it's chelated by the plants so that it can be bioavailable for our bodies. Then our bodies can do whatever they want with it, go through the internal modulation processes that we've been talking about. But if you're, taking concentrated calcium supplements. Now that's a little bit different. It's a little bit less natural 
It'd be like concentrating calcium from, you know, from uh, sources in, in ways that you wouldn't necessarily get that exposure from diet. And also you might be getting it from sources that are going to make the calcium more alkaline, or in some cases make the calcium neutral or on the other side, acidic. So if you understand what those three forms of calcium do, and if you want to play the supplement game, and that's kind of what I do in my laboratory assessment, I do ionization analysis. And sometimes I might purposely supplement with cationic or acidic calcium, because I know that is going to tweak their electrical line of resistance in a more, or what we could think of as pH in a more favorable zone. And it's not favorable to be more acidic or more alkaline. It's about being balanced. And in a completely balanced system, we should be 6.4 over 6.4 relative to our urine and our saliva pH, which are the more, you know, the fluids that we're able to measure. So, um, yeah, if if that gets more into a science-based understanding of how to use supplementation to accommodate the electrical nature of our bodies and to do so in a way where we don't have to be walking around taking gobs of vitamins and minerals and things every single day and trying to biohack ourselves all the time. Mm-hmm. Well said. Yeah, that's not a good lifestyle. I've totally been there, like taking thousands of dollars of supplements every month and every day, like choking on all the pills and stuff like that. So it's uh, it's not a good uh, lifestyle. And then overall, I think your point is so well taken, just that, and I'm reminded of Paul Gauchy's quote that God has no garbage piles. It's all transmutation, right? You throw all your compost and you think it's just like getting out of your way. And then all of a sudden it turns into the living soil. And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. so, and and I also feel that life is so much more intelligent than our, what often is linear thinking, this leads to that and this causes that, that, that um, there can be so many roads to the same effect. And that, and that kind of like when you read how uh, a, a word is scrambled into an anagram, but your mind instantly knows the word just by a glance, you know, the word you, you put it all together because the, the, the pieces are there. So I think nature is always, always doing that for us, working for us. Um, there was one specific uh, question that came about the thyroid and, and the metabolism and uh, any tips or tricks for optimizing that. And where would you place the thyroid on that continuum of, of uh, yin and yang energy of the nervous and metabolic system? Any organ of the body or any gland of the body is, of course, going to be reflective of the overall health of your system. And thyroid problems clinically, uh, my experience, were always a result of issues going on with other organs in the body so that the thyroid took the brunt of it. If you're going to take a yin-yang I would say thyroid adrenals are the seesaw. And most thyroid issues are because of a malfunctioning or a a tired or overly stimulated adrenal gland. Uh So, and then 
when you look at treating the adrenals, if you want to get into that access, then you have to understand what's tiring out the adrenals or overstimulating them. And then that's going to bring you one thing next to the other. The way I worked is I had a, a real-time way of testing and prioritizing. So I might be able to go in with more superficial testing and say, yeah, there's an adrenal alarm syndrome or an adrenal exhaustion syndrome or a hyperactive thyroid or a hypoactive thyroid. But then most of the time I ended up treating totally different organs and different sequences and sometimes not even get around to the one that you thought was the problem. And it was a problem symptomatically, but by the time you got to it, you didn't even have to treat it because you take the heat off it in the first place. The other thing, you know, we're talking about, uh, does that answer your question first? Um, yes. Yes, it does. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, that would be kind of yin yang, you know, if you were to look at those two organs here. The other thing is if you understand neurology, since we were talking about neurology today, if you understand the brain centers and how to access those brain centers directly, now you can modulate their qualification here and more importantly, erase old train tracks that are keeping physiology and emotional patterns in, you know, in a vicious circle in the first place. There's two ways to do that. Every muscle in the body has a frequency. And if you know that frequency, and there's 500, some of them, we figured all this out in clinical kinesiology long ago. We even had machines where you put electrodes on the forehead dial in a frequency and activate that muscle by way of the frequency that we figured out. You could take a, a person with MS that has no activity in the rectus femoris, which would allow him to flex the leg maybe and hold it in an elevated position when he's lying supine, dial in the frequency and all of a sudden that muscle is just held up in the air because now it's receiving a message. Those are the kinds of things we figured out. So with that knowledge, you can use muscles and beyond just the traditional applied kinesiology, but get next level. Although applied kinesiology was the brilliant groundwork for all this, um, you can access different parts of the neurology and brain centers by way of activating those muscles and then using that as your entry point into a real living biocomputer. The other way that's amazing and very effective and expedient is to understand the microcosms of the entire anatomy in different places of the body, primarily the ear. Uh, I started in the practice of auricular medicine a long time ago, and there's been great inroads over the decades by people like Noget and uh, from France and Barr in Germany, where it's down to a fine science of those frequencies. So I have instruments that allow me to not only assess what's going on and make all the linkages and prioritize, but also go into the memory content that keeps our problems in play. You know, like you're talking about emotional issues. Well, you can go into, you know, uh, 
points around this area and, you know, to access the hippocampus for emotional content or other parts of the brain and literally erase the electrical recording because all behavior is an electrical recording. That's all it is. Right. And you can go in and reset that in real time and maybe uh, over two, three resets, just have things that have been problematic for a long time go away. So we have amazing technologies available to us right now where we can go by way of neurology and create fantastic results, uh, chronic pain syndromes, emotional issues, you name it. There's nothing that you can't access if you know how to get into the brain and no different than somebody who's adept at using their keyboard on a computer. Beautiful. And to follow up what you just said about the keyboard on the computer is that, that you're the one typing in the instructions. And I think that's where we, where we lose our way is that we've never been told that we can give all the instructions and the instructions will be received, but we have demonstration. Like I can't make my computer doing it, do anything without typing in the instructions and yet it listens to me pretty good, not 100%, but, <laughs> you know, pretty reliable. And that's, that's what I'm discovering. Like all of, all of this created universe here, universe, I don't like that word anymore, but it's, it's listening to us and it's waiting for our instructions. And, and we're giving instructions, but so often we're giving them without knowing it, without having a, a clear motive, with, you know, allowing fear to drive us from the unconscious. And then, so we get all these mixed instructions, often pushing and pulling, <clears throat> right? The, the desire for something can be equally matched by the aversion to something. And so you get nothing because the energy is just spinning and, and trapped in a, a closed kind of circuit or loop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's and, beautiful. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. And no different than taking your computer into an Apple genius because your screen is flickering or something. They're going to get into the guts of it. They know how to talk to the computer and find out why it's doing that. So why don't doctors do that? You know, the, the, the computer guy is going to look at the screen and diagnose it as flickering screen or something and do something stupid. So as physicians, we're never taught how to ask questions. We think we're taught that because we take, uh, you know, labs and take pictures and everything. But all we're seeing is the after effects on the screen. We're not able to appreciate how it got there in the first place. Yeah, questions are the key. This is this is the thing. If you want to help anyone, learn to ask questions. Because I know I've tried the other thing where I go to try to tell everybody everything doesn't work. <laughs> But uh, yeah. when they, yeah, when they, when they travel their own unconscious, that's, that's where you learn and, and you see, oh, I had a choice. I haven't been making that choice, but, but it's there. Oh, I can choose now and, and let's support life rather than depleting life overall. So yeah, what a fabulous conversation. I knew this was going to be, as soon as you, you uh, gave me the clue about the yin-yang metabolic nervous system, my brain exploded in potential with this conversation. Uh, I have to go back to the thyroid, and this is purely selfish, but would you recommend people take iodine for that on a, re a regular basis? Yeah. I've used iodine on clients, but I would never do it unless 
it prioritizes a need. Uh, I would also test uh, for different forms of iodine and also dosage and also to discontinue it as soon as it wasn't necessary anymore. Good to know. Because what you're doing is an allopathic supplementation and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, But if you're going to introduce something that is not part of your normal foodstuffs, uh, you know, maybe you're not getting enough. Maybe it's going to create a desired effect. It will create a physiological effect. And whether you're taking a pharmaceutical or a supplement, what we have to understand is we're creating effects. Sometimes those effects are the opposite effects of the symptoms we don't want. But you don't want to just play the game of um, creating the opposite effect. Now, there's a very true thing about deficiencies, but most of those deficiencies, again, in my experience, are handled with very temporary, precise supplementing, but always when there's already a foundation of the cell salts that are being supplemented, and not just the cell salts, but to making sure that the body is oxygenating itself sufficiently, and there's measures to take if it's not, uh, to make certain that the cells are repolarizing. And if not, sometimes you have to support that temporarily. And then also uh, making enough energy at the cellular level, ATP, there's ways to prime that pump as well. And uh, and then one of the, the biggest things that most people are suffering from now is a deficiency of hydrogen. And there's a reason why hydrogen supplementation is useful and maybe a good practice because looking at it alchemically, hydrogen is the fire element, which is the first rung of the etheric medium of our realm that takes consciousness into the first stage of precipitation. So likewise in the body, that would equate to that first stage And the body is not going to be able to regenerate itself unless it has that element because hydrogen, again, is one and the same with that level of reality. And hydrogen is, again, made internally. Now we breathe it all the time and, you know, drink it and water, but that's not the way the body has sufficient hydrogen. It has sufficient hydrogen as a byproduct of digestion where the microorganisms Uh, specifically bacteria in our gut make hydrogen as a byproduct. Now, most folks, even that are taking probiotics and doing all sorts of good stuff, never take antibiotics are a little deficient in that these days because our own internal binome is a bit compromised from all the other exposures we're getting. Most predominantly the electromagnetic interference which wreaks havoc on the microorganism binome. And as a result, you know, we're not getting enough sufficient hydrogen production internally. So I think if anything, uh, if anybody wanted to do any one thing, it would be, you know, to look into Brown's gas and hydrogen supplementation before you start thinking about iodine or anything else, because that's all way downstream. But yeah, iodine has its time and place. It's also good for skin lesions sometimes. You know, if you just have a little problematic area, it'll 
take down some of those skin lesions. It's, you know, a medical type would say, oh, you got pre-cancer or something like that. Right, right. Oh, well, thank you for that. And uh, yeah, the Browns gas has really become part of my daily life. I, I've, uh, my, my routine has been sleeping with it every night because my uh, day life has been too chaotic to get on it and muck about, about with it all day. But uh, yeah, it, it really seems like a, a, just a staple, a staple food for my system to make yeah. use of. And, uh, and I, and then I had a week without, I lent it to someone for a week and I could see how much it was supporting me. Uh, mm -hmm. The only the only depressing part is that it doesn't seem to just get your body to a new place where you could not need that supplementation anymore. That it seems really dependent, just like the air we breathe and the sunshine. You can't like you got to go and get that every day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just a last comment about iodine. If anyone's just curious to see if they might be a little deficient in it, just take a few drops, uh, rub it on the skin of your arm or anywhere. And, uh, you know, it'll turn, you know, you give you a little orange blot. And if, um, if it doesn't absorb readily, you know, um, then you might have a, a bit of a deficiency in that, uh, on it, the, a, a normal test, it should disappear pretty quick. Okay. So that's just a good surefire way to test for that. Okay, very good. Yeah, I was taking a <clears throat> super high quality iodine on, on a nutritionist advice. And now the company is um, like made it impossible to get in Canada. And I'm like, mm, dude, so I've been off it just trying to see is do I notice any big change, mm -hmm. any big negative and I'm not noticing anything. So yeah. Yeah, we just get hooked into that. Eh? Somebody says, oh, you need iodine every day. And then, so I've got my son on it too. We should do that little test on him and just see if, yeah. uh, if there's any deficiencies. So yeah, yeah. Brown's Gas, uh, you and I, actually you were responsible for introducing me to George Wiseman years and Mike's oh, very, very okay. good interview. Yeah, yeah, super good. And he's coming in the House of Free Will to do a workshop like you did on September 25th. So we're going to really geek out about Brown's Gas. Oh, awesome. I'll yeah. have to check that one he's got some yeah. exciting things on the way too as you're probably aware of right right yeah some of his announcements i haven't been in in um, close contact recently just a little few Deuterium emails water um oh yeah, be, he's uh, yeah he's going so deep that's, into that's that exciting. yeah okay and if okay. you yeah if you use that in conjunction with the hydrogen it's pretty powerful right right there you go yeah i've heard a lot about the deuterium thing and uh Partly felt like and, it was a big rabbit hole, but you're saying it's a, you don't think so? Ah, uh, no, I think there's always something to it. Good. Absolutely. And Good. You, you could talk to science planet pretty thoroughly, I think. And the, um, of course, what George has done with the Browns gases, he's playing around with that fourth state of water, which is actually plasma. And that's what's happening in the electrodes of his machine. So, that's why he can take samples of the water that have gone through the machine and find the exact amount and constituents that uh, make up the electrode itself, but the electrode has not deteriorated or given any of those elements off. It's that the plasma water has actually reproduced those elements, uh, precipitated them literally from the waveforms, from the plasma projection, from the electrodes. And for instance, if you had a similar process, no matter 
what the electrodes are made out of, the electrolysis part of it, then the water, the plasma state would reproduce that from those electrodes, again, without taking elements from it, but through the plasma process, transmuting waveforms into that exact matter. And that's what happens in the alchemist lab uh, as far as transmutation and precipitation uh, when you don't even, when you end up with um, things that weren't even there when you started in the first place. Amazing. Yeah, that's, after talking to you, I always come away with a much greater sense of like, oh, cell salts. Yeah, I'll be making those right now. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. So we're coming up to the top of the second hour. You're so generous with your time. I really appreciate it. Do you want to share with people what you got going on in your lab, what medicines you're making, what you're uh, feeling like people should be tuning into? Maybe the, the, the gold that you talked about at the very beginning might be relevant also when people are looking for things with the nervous system. What's going on at Alpha Vedic and anything else that you want to share? Well, the one thing I'd share about our products is the reason why I make them. And that is to demonstrate in our permaculture farm, a full circle self-sufficiency where you're not just growing things. And, um, you know, what our whole purpose is to create a prototype for a small farm model that can be duplicated many times in communities across the world. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the best way to decentralize away from factory farming and, and all the things that are giving us our problems and ruining our soil for future generations. So there's a better way to do it. But of course, everybody has to fund themselves. And of course, we don't want to go outside of ourselves where there might be strings attached, especially, you know, I know people out there permaculture clubs that are getting government funding and so forth. And, you know, we don't want to have anything to do with that. So what we do is we grow things. We make products from what we grow, what we can't, uh, ingredients we can't get. They're just trusted sources that I've, um, you know, developed over just years of being in business. And then the products, besides um, giving us the ability to fund ourselves, uh, also embody the principles and the philosophy of alchemy and everything we do. Now in the lab, I make alchemical tinctures and uh, things out of rainwater even, not even plants and some things out of minerals. But those things, uh, you know, are very time consuming and you can only make them in certain lots. So we don't give those out to the public. We have a new member website that's going to be launched any second now. Mm. And in mm. the future, you know, we'll make limited amounts of what I make in the lab, uh, you know, available to them. But the real purpose of that even is to eventually teach more people how to do that work. So every community can have their own little uh, alchemist and person that makes medicine for people in a small location. So what we're doing here is it's prototypes called alphavedic.com. We'll have our new membership site up and we're mostly about education. Fantastic. Yeah. I was uh, definitely going to ask you about the, the membership site that we've been hearing about. So fantastic. Congratulations that you're, you're getting that off the ground. I know it's no little thing. And uh, I thank you so much. Everyone should definitely visit, if you haven't already, alphavedic.com to check that out. Um, the uh, Yeah, it's been a beautiful experience. I totally enjoyed. I will uh, share. Hey, Ashley, nice to see you. There's so many comments uh, in the uh, in the 
chat here that I really apologize people that I didn't get to, but uh, it took all my brain just to follow the conversation and, and be able to learn. I selfishly do these interviews so that I can learn, but also very much want to share, <clears throat> of course, with everybody in the process. So I know you're, you're very hip to that. There, uh, it's been fantastic. I, I have a few announcements and, and she's saying, yeah, this was amazing. Absolutely was. So um, if you, if you want to stay on, you're most welcome. I might even sing a song. We'll see. I've been getting back into my music. There's a festival coming up here at the end of, uh, <clears throat> actually beginning of September. And if I have a reason to play and sing, then I do. And if I don't, there's something, I don't know. There's, there's something that there's always, the purpose will take the, the front of the line for me. But so now I have a purpose and uh, even a desire to record again and start upgrading my music. And I also feel very like I've given myself my music back to myself. It's been a lot of, you know, spiritual journey around, um, you know, Jesus and the Bible and all of that kind of thing. I know you've been watching me go through this, this kind of thing. And, and so anyway, I'm just giving my music back to myself without having any thought about it being satanic or, <laughs> you know, everybody who would have called me that for singing mantras, I think is gone now. They, they didn't like me. It turned out. And, um, you know, so that's, that's, I'll probably stop talking about that soon as well. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah. So if, uh, if you guys haven't heard of the house of free will, this is my, my private domain association. I've called it ministry. Probably going to change that name because it's not really the effect that I thought it would have in terms of, you know, protection stuff like that. It actually flags you, makes you more obvious. And uh, Berlando did a beautiful workshop in, uh, on the uh, seven rays, the seven violet rays that I think a few people had asked about in the chat and you talked about as well. Uh, there's a whole bunch of resources in there. It's turning into a library of positive solutions so that you can keep your mind on things that are going to be helpful. Some fantastic workshops recently and uh, a few coming up. Then, so there's a link in the notes below if you wanted to apply to be a member. It is by application, just so I can prove that we're related, <clears throat> that we've had this conversation and that we're in contract in the private. So, um, and the Journey Code Coaching Certification Training is now half full. So just a, a week ago, there was one person signed up and now we're half full. So that's pretty exciting. I was maybe going to talk to you and uh, and Mike about, about coming on. I met some of my most beautiful people through you. You don't know that, but they've come into my world and they've got into the, the innermost circle of, of the House of Free Will and have become uh, such a, an incredible support to me, a mutual sharing and, and more uh, element of working together as a team and on common goals. So thank you so much for that. You have really good people around you and I might knock on your door again for something like that. Going to start messaging out more to the King heroes. We're still calling the Kings like yourself, Bear, that, you know, you get out in front, you say the hard things. You don't care if it's one strike on YouTube or two strikes on YouTube or have to create a new channel, whatever that is, you're willing to take those hits. And I'm really... Uh, very invested in in having more men come forward and and fill their power in that way. Uh, coming up Friday, Amanda Volmer is coming on. She's also presenting at Soulshine Festival, so I invited her to do an interview to help them promote. They are a tiny little, no government funding whatsoever, so they are not woke like all of our other festival environments that I can't even set foot in anymore. And uh, so she's going to be presenting workshop. I'm going to be doing a workshop on the hero's journey and talking about how we get tricked into ascension. This is one of my, my big soapboxes that I don't know if it's going to be popular or not, but we'll see. 
And I'm also going to be, as I mentioned, singing some music. So Amanda's coming on four o'clock on Friday to talk about community and the whole uh, evolution of truth through community and what we're building here and uh, how to be connected, stay connected. So I think that's all for everything that I've had. And um, I thank you so much, Bear. It's been absolute pleasure and beautiful experience for me. I might sing us out, turn the, turn the cameras off and just uh, play a little song or I don't even have to turn my camera off. But if you need to go for any reason, feel, don't, don't feel like I'm hijacking you. And uh, here, let's just also uh, acknowledge. You'd love to stay. Okay, fantastic. So good. And uh, yes, I'm, I'll share more comments after, but you're getting a ton of appreciation here. And uh, thank you, Billing Tano, for sharing in the chat the direct link to the YouTube. Is that the new Alphabetic channel? Because I know you've got two of them now. And uh, yeah, thank yeah, you. Um, yeah, that's the old one, I think. Oh, that is the old one? So I think we're back up. We have a new one called Off Grid Elegance, which is just more farm related with Deb and I here on the farm. Off Grid Elegance. Did I get that? Yes. Right? And uh, we'll be we'll be making that more formalized, but we've had to use that the last couple of weeks while we've been censored on our regular one. Right on. I know I subbed. If anyone feels like grabbing that link right now, that would be awesome. And uh, just pop it in the ch chat. And uh, yes, I like the vo the guests too. <laughs> I just got this guitar back. It's more than 30 years old. When I first started playing, came home from uh, India and got myself a guitar. And uh, I took it in recently because it's been beat up over the years. And all these old guys in the music store, they're like, oh, this is a nice guitar. And they don't compliment anybody, by the way, like nothing. <laughs> they're just, you know, typical music business. And... Um, so I'm happy. I'm happy. This this is a uh, the the instruments really sing through you. There's there's something that becomes the sound is an element. It's, I don't even know how I forget about it. It's like amnesia. How could I not know how beautiful this is for your own body, your heart, your mind, in so many ways? <clears throat> and uh, because I didn't really plan anything, I'll sing this song that. Uh, a friend of mine wrote a poem when I was in India, so I just picked it up and wrote music to it. So it's called Seabreeze Sages. <clears throat> when will you know me? As only a breeze, the spray from waves, or a cloud drifting across the blue expanse, lost to your sight. Even if it no longer shows still, I'm real. When will you know me for sure? So free and so pure.
so thorough and complete. Generations repeat. So when will you know only I exist? Knowledge of wonder you resist. And there I forever and a day is always the wave. And as always the sea breeze and coursing through the forest whispering where I may be seen, where I am always. You may not know me by sound. There none can be found And don't assume you'll know my shame Nor look for me sometime I lost bear now look for me as I blow the ocean, hear me sing splendor and devotion, rejoicing in your heart, know me there to start. Look for me as I spray the beach and hear me where any sounds reach. Not the soul is sound alone, but the power behind the drone. Not the swaying of a towering tree, but the force at the back of who sees. I am the very animation, yet you have known me as creation. Amaram ham, maduram ham, amaram ham, maduram ham, amaram ham, maduram ham, amaram ham, maduram ham. And there you have it. I'm glad Bear's connection lasted until the very end. Thank you everyone for coming. It's been a beautiful experience. I am always uh, uh, high as a kite after talking to Bear. Pretty pure vibes where that guy's coming from.
thank you. I appreciate you being here. And I hope you have a beautiful rest of your day. <laughs> and those bear. Mm. Nice. Lots of love, you guys. <laughs>